Thanks to Bombfell for supporting The Motley Fool. Bombfell is an online personal styling service for men that helps find the right clothes for you. Get $25 off your first purchase at bombfell.com slash fool. That's B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L dot com slash fool. Welcome to Industry Focus, a podcast that dives into a different sector of the stock market every day. It's Tuesday, August 1st, and we'll be covering some of the big moves in the consumer and retail world. I'm your host, Vincent Chen. Happy to be back in the host chair. And thanks again to Dylan and Sarah for covering last week. Joining me here at Full Headquarters is SeniorFool.com contributor Adam Levine-Weinberg. Thanks for being here, Adam. Thanks for having me on the show again. Sure thing. Uh, We have a lot to cover today. And I wanted to start by treading a little bit of familiar ground uh, if you will allow me. Yeah. So Dylan and Sarah covered this news briefly on the show, uh, on the previous show, and I wanted to get your thoughts on the approximately $1.4 billion deal between Michael Kors and Jimmy Choo. So, some background in case any fools did miss this story. This acquisition was announced one week ago. Uh, it's an all cash deal that should close later this year, and it'll bring a high end luxury shoe brand, Jimmy Choo, in house for Michael Kors, which is more focused on fashion accessories and handbags. So, what do you think, Adam? Uh, this seems to me kind of uh, like a, this, the recent acquisitions at rival fashion house Coach are putting some pressure on Michael Kors' management team to pursue a similar strategy. Yeah, I think that's definitely true. There's a budding rivalry now uh, in the fashion space, at least within the United States, between Coach and Michael Kors. Uh, and I think Michael Kors sees this as an opportunity to bulk up, get itself a really premier brand in shoes. And this will have a, a variety of potential benefits for them. Some of the, the bigger ones, obviously, are they get a great brand in Jimmy Choo um, that they think has a lot of growth potential. Uh, according to their estimates, they think that Jimmy Choo can eventually become a billion-dollar sales brand, which would be uh, slightly more than double its sales today. And then aside from that, they get a lot of diversification benefits, because Jimmy Choo has more than half of its sales outside the U.S., whereas Michael Kors uh, has the vast majority of its sales domestically. And also, in terms of product lines, as you mentioned, um, there is some footwear at Michael Kors, but that's really a pretty small part of their business, where footwear is, is Jimmy Choo's main thing. So, you're going to see more diversification within uh, Michael Kors' business lines. Uh, it's not just going to be handbags as the, the dominant thing that they live and die by. Um, so, I think that that's, that definitely is, is pretty good for Michael Kors. Um, they've certainly had a lot of trouble in the last two to three years. Uh, the problem that they've had is, is simply that they diluted their brand, and they they realized that they made a mistake. They had too much distribution, too many Michael Kors bags ending up in discount channels and in uh, on on sale with the deep discounts at places like Macy's, um, and and even in Michael Kors' own stores. And it's really hard to get out of that trap. And both Coach and Michael Kors have had this problem. They're trying to fix it, um, but Coach is really ahead right now. Coach has also done more of this diversification work in terms of uh, buying Stuart Weitzman, which is another shoe brand, a couple of years back, and buying Kate Spade, which is a rival handbag maker, um, just recently. Yeah, on the diverse on the diversification front, um, I think the Jimmy Choo deal should help. I think Michael Kors, they mentioned, bring their shoe business to about one fifth, I think, of their top line. Yeah, and then. Uh, Something they also really uh, touted, at least in the some of the press releases and the discussions of the deals, the fact that you know, for uh, especially the luxury women's shoe segment, uh, faster growth than a lot of the other uh, the businesses that they're currently in. But otherwise, there have been a few indications from Michael Kors CEO John Idle that this is not 
uh, their first or first and only deal. It's probably one of many deals to come. And he said during a recent conference call, let me first start out by saying our primary objective when we were looking for acquisitions was to create a global fashion luxury group. And it definitely brings to mind for me kind of the fashion empire conglomerate that you mentioned from Coach that they're kind of putting together. Now they have a distinct handbag. Uh, focused brand. They have their apparel. They have a shoe brand as well within their portfolio. Um, so all of this kind of coming together. It seems like they're uh, you know both pursuing this similar strategy of you know diversifying both geographically with their product lines, trying to create you know this more of this empire kind of feel. Yeah, I mean that's certainly the way the model is in Europe. You have a few um, sort of fashion houses or collections of brands, and it's a company that you know will own dozens of of top fashion mm-hmm. brands. Uh, you don't really have that in the U.S. and and Coach and Michael Kors are are starting to go down that road, but in a small way. You know, I think that the potential downside of the deal is that um, if Michael Kors hasn't really learned its lesson from diluting its brand in the last three years, then you could do a lot of damage because they've said that they want growth. They think the women's shoe market is a growth market, but that was also true of handbags five years ago, and they got a lot of growth, but the growth kind of uh, got them addicted to driving sales higher and higher. They got addicted to discounting when people weren't just buying the bags at full price. And if you do that with Jimmy Choo, um, five years down the road, you could be in the same spot where they are right now with their main brand, where uh, people aren't willing to pay the same premium anymore because it's not seen as being something unique. Um, it's not a status symbol anymore. And so that's definitely a risk for for Michael Kors. You know, can they? Um, can they definitely keep Jimmy Choo seen as a like, really premier luxury high-end brand? Yeah, and if they basically avoid making the same mistakes they made previously. Um, so, some other big news we wanted to cover from last week was Amazon earnings. So, I feel like this usually runs in Dylan's wheelhouse on the tech show, but we're going to talk about the e-commerce giant's latest results and use them to seg a little bit into some related topics. Yeah. So, Amazon stock has been beaten up a bit uh, since releasing earnings. Um, so, what did the company report to get kind of a more bearish response? Yeah. So. On the sales front, Amazon is really still chugging along. They had a stellar sales growth uh, last quarter. Um, revenue was up about 25% year over year. Mm-hmm. So that's really good. I mean, Amazon um, has has definitely managed to uh, keep its growth rate steady or even increasing despite being you know now a more than $100 billion revenue company. And that's really rare and extremely impressive. Um, what caused the stock really to fall is that um, their operating income is coming under pressure again. And so that's definitely an area of, of some concern for investors because um, Amazon, obviously, for many years was barely profitable or was actually losing money. Mm-hmm. And investors accepted that because they were growing. And then it seemed a couple of years ago that with the growth of Amazon Web Services, which has pretty high margins, that Amazon was finally getting to be steadily profitable, was on a long term. Earnings growth trajectory where they wouldn't, they'd be growing revenue very quickly as well, but also increasing their margins year after year. And that story just broke down last quarter. So just to look at the numbers, while the um, sales reached $38 billion, up 25%, um, operating income plunged more than 50% year over year um, last quarter down to $628 million. And actually, if you look and break that down by segment, uh, more than 100%. Of that operating profit came from Amazon Web Services. So the retail business as a whole, which is still the vast majority of Amazon sales, was unprofitable last quarter. Um, and that's some of that is foreign currency. Um, they've certainly 
been hit hard as other retailers have by the strong dollar um, in their international operations, which are losing money right now. Um, and even in North America, you're seeing a lot of the growth initiatives that are keeping sales growth at such a high rate. They are having an impact on profitability. So, just two of the ones that I would call out are first. Uh, their investments in video on Prime Instant Video on content. It's it's a great driver. It's a reason why the Prime uh, membership program is growing so quickly. It's because they offer all of these side benefits aside from the free shipping that uh, Prime became known for. But that's really expensive, and you're basically putting money in there, where you're not getting a direct return for that investment because um, they don't. It's just included as an add-on once you buy the Prime subscription. So it does drive, I'm sure, some incremental revenue for Prime, but the main reason why people sign up for Prime is to get the free shipping. And so the real benefit for Amazon is that as you can keep people loyal to the Prime program, they should start spending more and more money um, at Amazon.com. The other thing I would call out is you've got their Prime Now uh, same-day delivery. That's obviously really, really expensive compared to you know even two-day shipping, because when you've got warehouses all over the country, uh, you can use regular ground shipping and get a, an item to somebody within a day or two. Whereas when you need to get it there in two hours, then all of a sudden you need to have a special courier network that's uh, and warehouses that are um, very centrally located to get the items out to customers. So that's obviously very expensive. And Amazon hopes to drive down the per unit cost of delivery over time, um, primarily just by uh, increasing its scales. You know, the more deliveries you're doing, the lower the cost. Uh, per drop-off, sure, but that's going to take a while to get to get that to a cost that's really affordable for Amazon. And so for now, that's definitely dragging on their profitability in North America. Yeah, the big the big takeaway um, that you often see now uh, in their quarterly reports, you know, the AWS business, you know, pretty much continues to kind of subsidize the retail segment, yeah. especially uh, which you mentioned uh, on the international side uh, as they try and expand out that business too. It's going to cost that. There's going to be you know rising costs with that, um, but even. Uh, as you mentioned, the gem that AWS generally is did see lower profitability and with costs rising across the company. I think that's ultimately a little bit of why uh, Wall Street analysts and the market's response in general uh, was probably uh, a bit more bearish. But I still think I still find kind of this reaction to the report kind of interesting. In that, for, you know, you mentioned it in that for years, you know, Jeff Bezos has been growing the company and he's been doing so generally at the expense. Of bottom line of the bottom line, he he really does make a secret of that. Yeah, and you know the start the stock has done incredibly well. It's marched higher and higher, and then you have this one kind of somewhat underwhelming report um, that enough investors get shaken to push the shares down. I think six or seven percent. But at this point, I feel like you you have to have this faith in Bezos and his long term vision and strategy to even be a shareholder in the company. Yeah, I think that's absolutely true. I mean, Amazon right now, you know, even after getting knocked down, it's still worth almost $500 billion. Yeah. Um, and that's just a huge amount of money um, for a company that last quarter, you know, earned like a little over $600 million in profit. That's just like very small operating profit um, relative to what the company is worth. You have to be betting on this company's growth, not for the next few years, but for the next few decades. Sure. To to be a long-term Amazon shareholder, and so you you know basically, if you believe in Bezos, believe in his vision, think that Amazon is going to be able to keep disrupting um, other retailers, other you know, other categories outside of retail, you know, obviously which they've done with AWS, but maybe with other things. 
Um, there's been some rumors about a healthcare push by by Amazon. So it's clearly a company that has a lot of innovation going on, a lot of growth potential, um, a commitment to sort of growth at the cost of near-term profitability, mm-hmm. and you just either have to accept that or not. And what I think we saw last week was that there was this hope among some investors that the the profitability um, turning point had already happened, and now Amazon was going to be in this sort of constant margin growth, um, which is clearly not the case. There's going to be up years, and there's going to be down years in terms of profitability, um, and that's okay as long as revenue is still growing at a really rapid rate, which so far it is. Yeah, if you are you know a long-term uh, fully shareholder in Amazon, and, and you look at the results from this cold, uh, this quarter, ultimately, I just I don't think these are numbers that should be really shaking your resolve no. at this point. Uh, so up next, uh, we'll talk about a related story and the unlikely collaboration between Amazon and a struggling department store chain. Uh, thanks again to Bombfell for supporting Industry Focus. Bombfell is an online personal styling service for men that helps find the right clothes for you. The clothing Bombfell offers really does feel designed for you, and it starts with a simple questionnaire. It took me just a couple minutes to complete, and once I was finished, Bombfell had my preferred sizing, fit, and styles that I like. With those details, Bombfell matches you up one-on-one with a dedicated stylist who scour menswear collections from around the world to handpick every piece and share their selections with you. From there, you're in total control. You can make any changes or cancel the order, and then it's just a matter of waiting for the clothing to arrive on your doorstep. You know, I used to hate wait- wasting time at the mall looking for the right clothes. If I was lucky enough to find something I liked, there seemed to always be a wait for a dressing room just to try it on, and then a wait at the checkout line. But with Bombfell, when you receive your clothing, you can try everything on in the comfort of your own home without being rushed. You keep what you like and send the rest back at no charge. It's, it's that easy to get good-looking, well-fitted clothing in your wardrobe. For industry-focused listeners, we have a special offer, $25 off your first purchase, just go to bombfell.com slash fool. That's B-O-M-B-F-E-L-L dot com slash fool for $25 off your first order. Thanks again to Bombfell for supporting the show. Uh, a couple weeks ago, Sears announced that it would make its Kenmore appliances available through Amazon. Uh, Kenmore is one of the last remaining high-value brands uh, kind of propping the company up at this point, mm-hmm. I think. And it used to have a leading share of the appliance market, but it's the de- deteriorated uh, quite a bit along with the department store chain. But even then, I think it's still one of the biggest and most popular brands in the industry. And uh, old, uh, this is a pretty strange partnership here, I think, between Sears and the company uh, You know, a lot of people would say is most responsible for its woes over the past decade. Yeah. Um, but what's your take, Adam? The word you mentioned to me before the show was surrender, and I thought that was <laughs> interesting. Yeah, I, I really do see this as surrender on the part of Sears to Amazon. And to be honest, I think it's actually rational for Sears to be surrendering to Amazon.com at this point. I think it's been proven over many, many years that Sears does not have what it takes as a standalone company to compete with Amazon.com or indeed with other department store chains, uh, even the ones that are struggling a bit themselves. If you look at Sears' results, they've their revenue has plunged in recent years. Right now, they've been posting pretty steady, high single-digit to even double-digit comparable store sales declines Mm -hmm. regularly. And that's even while closing hundreds of stores. So, if you look at their total sales line, it's down 20% um, in a lot of quarters. And so, they're floundering. They don't have much of a future as a retailer. And so, at that point, their main assets really are their real estate, which they've been selling off, and then their their house brands that are still um, still popular. So 
they were able to get about $900 million of value for Craftsman, their tool brand, uh, earlier this year. And Kenmore is probably their, the next most valuable brand that they have um, still remaining with the company. And so I think that um, selling Kenmore appliances on uh, Amazon.com is going to be good for the Kenmore brand because it's, it's something that's been really, um, it's been done a disservice by being stuck in Sears and Kmart stores only. Because it was a great brand back, uh, back, not even that long ago, you know, 20 years ago, when people still went to Sears. Sometimes, uh, Kenmore was a top appliance brand, and a big reason why it's lost its um, lost market share is simply because people aren't going to Sears. So it's like a limited it. distribution issue, right? Um, and so, getting the distribution onto Amazon.com will definitely get it in front of more people. Uh, however, millennials may may not know the Kenmore brand as much as their parents do. Um, just because they haven't been shopping in Sears, and so they don't see it in the same way that maybe if they're walking through Home Depot, they see other uh, brands of appliances. Sure. So that's definitely a concern. Um, but you know, better better late than never um, to get this broader distribution. Now the problem for Sears is that once you can go buy Kenmore appliances on Amazon.com, why would you go to Sears for anything? <laughs> and so and so that's really the issue. That you know, to some extent. They'll win some market share for Kenmore against other appliance makers, but really what they're going to do is drive more share of, of Kenmore sales out of the Sears stores and into uh, Amazon.com, which is going to make the, the lack of profitability of the Sears stores get even worse, forcing more store closures. And in my opinion, um, this story is going to end with Sears going bankrupt. At the end of the day, they can still sell or keep the Kenmore brand, and that may actually be one of their most valuable assets. And getting out of the retail industry entirely might be the best play in the long run for Sears Holdings. Mm -hmm. The the collaboration here between these two companies, uh, I think you put it best. It's good news in the short run for Sears. Yeah, and then expands distribution for Kmart products. But bad news, looking at the future, since shoppers will have even less of a reason uh, to visit their stores. Whereas for Amazon. Uh, on their end, it's you know good news for them as they kind of expand their appliance business. Uh, now they have this pretty popular brand. Uh, they can boast another instance, I think, overall of how even you know the brick and mortar competitors might be ultimately better off feeding off of you know the Amazon boogeyman and being joining that. Um, there have been other instances of that recently. We talked in the show where Nike even kind of threw in the towel and and acknowledged yeah. that. Uh, Nike being the most popular uh, apparel brand sold on Amazon didn't actually have an official uh, relationship with the company, and as a result, they're finally starting to test that a little bit to actually sell you know their apparel through that channel. Uh, so to wrap up our discussion, uh, we have another brick and mortar retailer that is finding its footing, and that's Target. So it's still one of the top ten retailers in the U.S. Uh, the company was actually recently surpassed by Amazon. So the stock has underperformed in the past year as foot traffic declined, holiday sales fell short, and comps turned negative. So Target is in the early stages of executing a turnaround strategy, um, and the latest guidance from management has taken a more positive tone. Uh, do you think these are kind of the first signs of progress for the company? Yeah, I think that you know Target has a ways to come, but they're definitely on the right track. Um, in a lot of ways, I see Target as being uh, the opposite going in the opposite direction of Sears. And what I mean by that is, if you look back, I think maybe 2001 or, or thereabouts, Target made this really terrible decision that they were going to outsource their e-commerce to Amazon.com. Um, and you know, basically, Amazon would get a commission, they would run the site, 
uh, and Target would sell its products through there. The result was that Amazon was getting all this data about Target sales, and and they were, you know, getting people accustomed to the sort of Amazon kind of layout, and and Target didn't have any control over what was you know what should have been a key part of uh, of its growth. Sure. And the result is that Target um, has much less uh, online sales as a percentage of its revenue than a lot of its competitors. It's still under five percent, and it's been and that's after doubling its online sales just in the past uh, three years or so. Mm-hmm. Um, so you can imagine how bad they were um, back in you know 2012, you know right after they'd taken control of their website back from Amazon. So so Target was behind, especially in e-commerce. Um, and they're trying to fix that now. And e-commerce, of course, has been the, the biggest growth driver for them. The problem was that recently you did see these comp sales declines. Um, and since they, they include the online sales in their comp sales numbers, that meant that if comp sales were declining, their retail in-store sales were declining at an even faster rate. Yep. Uh, and so that definitely puts pressure on profitability because there's a lot of overhead expense associated with having this massive store footprint throughout the United States. Um, in the fourth quarter, they had a pretty um, significant comp sales decline. And at uh, back in February, when they were providing their guidance for the first quarter, uh, Target's management thought it was going to get even worse uh, with a low to mid-single digit uh, comp sales decline for the first quarter. Now, comp sales did decline um, in the first quarter of the year, but uh, only by 1.3%, which was a lot better than, than the original guidance. And uh, EPS came in way ahead of their initial forecast at $1.21 whereas they had been expecting $0.80 cents to a dollar. Uh, so you saw much better profitability than expected, still not quite as good as the previous year. Mm-hmm. And now you're seeing that same trend play out again in the second quarter. Uh, comp sales have now turned positive again, which is definitely a good sign. Profitability is probably going to be down a little bit um, year over year, but but maybe not, um, because once again, they raised their uh, EPS guidance for the quarter. They announced a couple of weeks ago that uh, instead of Having EPS between ninety-five cents and a dollar fifteen, it's going to be somewhere above a dollar fifteen for the second quarter. They just haven't uh, haven't specified yet, and so we'll find out when they report earnings in a few weeks um, just how how well they managed to do. So you're definitely seeing that um, Target is not having a great year in 2017, but it's a lot better than what they'd expected, and that's a pretty good sign considering that the company is making some significant investments um, and long-term bets right now in order to drive uh, its competitiveness in the long term. Against um, against rivals and especially Amazon.com. Sure, um, you know, with uh, the impressive but small scale of the online growth uh, that you talked about so far, so far, you know, still a single digit percentage uh, of their overall revenue. The company has obviously a long way to go. Um, that's a big investment for them, obviously. Um, a few other key parts of the turnaround effort. I feel like uh, they've mentioned things like new small format store locations, how they're yeah. updating the aesthetics of some of their stores, also. Um, you know, a lot of investments uh, on the e-commerce side in terms of uh, a better online experience, uh, faster fulfillment. Um, what, are, where is the money going, and, and what do you think is like is going to be uh, really important for them going forward? Yeah. So one thing that they're that they are doing is uh, they're renovating a lot of their stores. They're not opening as many stores um, mm-hmm. as they uh, did, if, you know, a few years ago, but they are still opening some. But they're renovating a lot of stores, uh, and they're trying out a new store format, which. Um, definitely sounds promising. They're gonna instead of having a, a single main entrance, they're trying in these um, new stores to have two entrances with kind of different focus. So there's a kind of a grocery entrance um, that's for quick trips where you're just picking up some essentials uh, and it's supposed to get you in and out. And then another main entrance, which is 
more of the discretionary purchases uh, and the things that Target's more known for in their uh, home and, and style. And that's definitely the entrance that they're hoping you go into. Um, but they're trying to give you an opportunity, if you don't have time for that, to, to get in and get out and, and go to Target more frequently um, rather than you know, oftentimes in a Target store, they deliberately put the grocery at the other end of the store from where you go in, and it definitely takes you a lot longer. So that might drive some customers to go to a regular supermarket um, instead of going to Target because it's, it's just more convenient. So that'll be an interesting, uh, interesting experiment to see how that works for, for Target. Uh, as you mentioned, they're also opening a lot of these small format stores. And I think one of the most interesting things they're doing is they're making a big push into Manhattan, um, where uh, 10 years ago they didn't have anything in Manhattan. They opened one full-size store, I think it was back in 2010, uh, up in Harlem in a kind of big box center there. But now they're getting into the sort of downtown, um, midtown, and lower Manhattan areas with these smaller stores. They have one opening later this year across the street from Macy's on 34th Street. They have uh, other stores uh, coming within the next couple of years. I think that they'll have six stores in Manhattan um, by the end of 2019. And so we'll see um, if they keep growing from there. But this is going to allow them to do more uh, same-day fulfillment, um, which is really necessary now to keep up with Amazon as Amazon um, rolls out Prime now to more and more products to offer same-day delivery. You, know, you just have to keep up if you want to stay competitive with Amazon.com. Yeah, and this mirrors a lot of efforts we've seen from other retailers, too, trying to use uh, these smaller store locations to kind of tap into more urban areas where they can't open yeah. these huge locations that they're uh, that would make up their traditional footprint um, last thing uh, that management has mentioned quite a few times in conference calls and in press releases is some of the success of uh, certain categories and and product lines or exclusive ones to target can you talk a little bit about that yeah so um, Brian Cornell who's the um, CEO of target when he came in a lot of people thought that he was going to uh, make a bigger push around groceries and and building out uh, the sort of grocery side of the business. But instead, he's really doubled down on uh, a few key categories that are uh, sort of make Target stand out from other retailers. So style is one, um, and then also baby, um, kids uh, merchandise, and then also to some extent wellness, uh, uh, both in sort of the health side and, uh, and healthier food. So that's definitely, um, those are areas, uh, especially the style, uh, where Target can offer a lot of exclusive products where they're not competing with Amazon.com for that particular thing. Obviously, Amazon sells its own version of whatever it is, but you need to have exclusive merchandise these days if you want to uh, to survive, unless you have a massive cost advantage like somebody like Costco. Um, and even Costco has a lot of exclusive um, you know, Kirkland Signature brand items that are um, exclusive to them. Um, the exclusive merchandise is the way that you can uh, kind of moderate the price competition that's become so rampant now that you can just go on your phone, let alone your computer, to find out what the price of a thing is. Mm -hmm. um, and so that's really important uh, for, for Target. And I think that that's going to building out those brands, um, keeping them popular, com coming up with new items that people want is definitely going to be critical to that long-term success because um, just selling commodities at, and trying to compete with Amazon on price is not really a viable long-term strategy, because these retailers with giant physical footprints can't get the cost to the level they would need to succeed with that kind of operating model. Yeah, not even not even just Amazon, but you know, if you're looking at some of the other uh, 
brick and mortar retailers target in terms of their scale, it'll be tougher for them to compete with the likes of a Costco or a Walmart, for example. Yeah. Um, but uh, that's all the time we have for today. So we're going to wrap up this discussion there. But thank you for joining us, Adam. Yeah. Thanks for having me again. Um, Fools, thank you for listening. And to our producer, uh, Austin, uh, thank you very much. People on the program may own companies discussed in the show, and the Molly Fool may have formal recommendations for or against any stocks mentioned. So don't buy or sell anything based solely on what you hear during the program. Full on. Thank you.